This is the Mentors for Military podcast. Mike, you and Andrea know one each, one another going back from the Tillman Scholar. I take it that you guys met at one of your quarterly or your conventions or something like that. So maybe it'll be great to kind of tell the backstory of how you guys met. Yeah, two years ago at the Pat Tillman Foundation uh, Annual Leadership Summit in Chicago. Uh, I think that was the first time we met. And then again, last year uh, during the UnConference, when uh, I was presenting a little bit about not about how boys are dumb, but maybe that'll be a good one for the future. Um, <laughs> but but about what I do in the classroom, and and we've kind of gotten to know each other a little bit closer through social media over the last couple of years. And you know, if you guys don't know it, and I think most most people who've listened to me do the 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 the, the Pat Tillman Foundation and Tillman Scholars are a unique and very close knit group of people who rely on each other uh, throughout the year when we can't be together for that few days that we share in Chicago. Well, most people know Pat Tillman, or at least have heard his story and everything, but maybe it'd also be helpful before we kind of even lead into Andrea, you talking more about your background and such is that what is the Pat Tillman Foundation and the what's the Tillman Scholar? Basically, people are going to kind of want to know that if they haven't ever researched that. So the Pat Tillman Foundation and the Tillman Scholars are about living Pat's legacy. Um, it's about service, it's about um, leadership. Um, and action um, and just continuing a life of service um, in whatever um, whatever field you uh, plan to pursue. So um, for me, I took my military service and my education um, with a significant focus on um, looking at women in, in conflict and improving women's lives. Um, how I'm doing that right now, women veterans are the fastest growing population um, in the veteran population and also the fastest growing homeless population um, and are also 56% more likely to use their GI Bill. So it's really, uh, the, the Pat Tillman Foundation for me was really just a belief. Um, becoming, being selected as a Tillman Scholar was a belief that. Now that's a great story. And you know, I actually had read a lot about, uh, about the, some of the statistics that you had provided there about women veterans and of course about how more than not, there's someone that, goes out and uses the GI Bill. And I can't remember, but there was a, a time frame a while back where there was a statistic that came out about the number of veterans that actually used the GI Bill in the first place. And it was really, mm -hmm. really sad because you think about the number of people that never exercise it or that do use it, but don't even use the full benefit. Exactly. And, and a lot of that, I think a lot of that was based on, um, so first of all, a lot of it was based on time. The, the de there, there, there was a delimiting date on the GI Bill um, up until about a year ago. So if you got out prior to 2013, you had to use your GI Bill within 15 years or it was gone. Yeah. Um, the other is that the military is not doing a very good job of preparing people for post-secondary education. Um, if you're going to be using your tuition assistance while you're on active duty, you're really navigating that on your own and figuring out what kind of program to go to. Will those, will those credits transfer? Um, is this going to be a, a, a useful degree for me on the outside? There's really no guidance. And there's certainly not um, comprehensive guidance when it comes to thinking about the application process to apply to a full-time school um, to include the considerations of going to community college before going to a full-time program. So what ends up happening is a lot of people who might consider leaving the military, going to use their GI Bill after the military, haven't been given the opportunity to learn what that application process is like mm. and never get the opportunity to do so because, you know, life gets in the way. The best time to, yep. you know, strike while the iron's hot, transition straight into school and you get out. No, that's so true. And I think, that, um, like you said, so many of those that are making the transition are not really thinking about all the steps that's going to be required, especially if you're getting out in the summer months. You've got the school that's going to be starting in September or the, you know, uh, the quarter, at least the first quarter. You're not prepared. You don't realize all the stuff that it's going to take to get set up for it. Uh, it's not a good situation. Exactly. And it takes about two years. It takes about two years to apply to a full time program. Now, that two years could be um, going to community college, doing test preparation, working on your essays. But um, 
service of school does see people who are two months out from the transfer deadline and say, okay, we're going to do this. And, <laughs> and we have worked with some people. I just spoke to um, a student who's going to, uh, who goes to the University of California at Berkeley, who applied within two months of the transfer oh, deadline. Really? Got rejected and then got in on appeal. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did he know somebody or how did that happen so quickly? He showed up. And part of the problem was that he had, you need 60 credits to transfer and he had 54 and he didn't know that. So he didn't have the opportunity to write to the school and say, I will take those six credits over the summer before I matriculate, yeah. which is what he did. And that's why he's um, at one of the, the best schools in the country. Yeah. Well, good on him. Wow. Yeah. That's got to be a very nice. unique story. Like you said, most people are just not prepared for that. Well, you know, what's <laughs> interesting about this conversation is that we've had it many times on the podcast. The military doesn't do a good job in preparing people for transition at all in the first place. So yep. those of us who are on this podcast who have transitioned, I think there's three of us out of the, the five that are, are here, um, have transitioned. And we know the struggle that you have in trying to make that transition. And, and the people who do uh, do not do the preparation, do not understand all the uh, the pieces that are going to go along with that, whether it's claiming your VA status, you know, or mm -hmm. um, going out there and trying to find employment, making sure that your resume is tightened up, which is something much different than the transition assistance program is going to provide for you. And then, of course, if you're not looking for employment and then to your point, you're saying, oh, I'll just go out and go to school. You've just hit them right between the eyeballs with a, with a stick here. I mean, what you're saying is, well, if you haven't been preparing for even that type of transition, you're way behind the power curve. Exactly. And, and that's where, I mean, service to school is here to help, right? We help people who are two years out. We help people who are, oh, shit, I have to have my application in a month. And we'll, we'll serve you, we'll work with you wherever you are in the process. But where I see the biggest challenge is it's not, I, I don't put this blame on the member. I really just, 62% of service members are first-generation college students. Um, where are you going to get this information? What, what about the education center on post or, in, you know, on uh, installation? So the education centers on post, I, I have, they vary in quality. Um, they, and there's no information about um, what's going to be, uh, you know, are these credits going to transfer? What's the difference between a for-profit college? What's the difference between a not-for-profit mm. state school versus a private school? No one is talking about, all, the only thing that gets talked about when it comes to the price tag is, well, Private schools are more expensive. Well, yes, but let's say that you go to, um, there are Ivy League colleges that are fully funding veterans. Wow. That they don't even have to use their GI Bill. Get out. Who are those? What? So Princeton, for example. Really? University of Chicago. Um, so they will fully max out yellow ribbons so that you pay $0 in your tuition. What a great MBA program in Chicago, too. Yes. Yes. And Booth, and, so Booth. Booth, um, they haven't maxed out the yellow ribbon. The undergraduate has, and that's because a Booth degree is going to have a very rapid return on investment. Yeah. Um, but um, other schools, now I'm going to misspeak, and I should have had this written down, but either Williams or Amherst, um, one of the two of them, um, is fully funding um, some veteran students. That, that is amazing. And I'm sorry, we didn't mean to take you off topic, but holy cow, that yeah. was pretty wild yeah. when you said that. Because I, I mean, Princeton, if you can, well, first off, you've got to get accepted into Princeton. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you need to do your homework. Now, if you listen to this podcast and you know that that's uh, an opportunity, you can certainly prepare for it while on active duty, AJ, before you uh, actually make the transition so that you can <laughs> go to Princeton, see? That's that's really interesting. You know, you mentioned about the the education office. I had I heard about a program to transition from enlisted to officer that the mm -hmm. uh, U.S. Air Force offers. Um, I wanted more information, and I got told by my supervisor to go call the education office. So I did. You know what they told me to Google it. I was like, wow. what? <laughs> okay. And every time I have a question, right now our our virtual education center website has been down so i can't request ta and so i asked them and all they could tell me was well we're, we're hoping it'll be up soon we're hoping it'll be up soon and i'm like well my class starts next week what do i do in the meantime and they don't have any answers for me and it's definitely really frustrating because 
these are the people that we trust to give us answers for those that do want to pursue their education and take advantage of that TA. But when they don't have the answers, they're supposed to be experts in this. Who else am I supposed to go to? Who else am I supposed to ask these questions to? Exactly. And, and like I said, there's, there's a complete variety in quality. You may not have access to the information that you want. And then it also is what, so you'll, you'll even see advertisements for particular schools that are going to be there. Yeah. And there might be some schools that are really going to provide you a return on investment or you'll get tr- credits that can transfer um, or cr- credits that you'll be able to use towards a master's degree. Um, but how are you going to differentiate between those? Mm-hmm. Um, the the um, Department of Defense has done a pretty good job of getting some of the predatory programs off of base, but they have been there in the past. And for many people, the damage is already done. Wow. Uh, and, you know, I know of programs that are already on there for active duty people that are wanting to become teachers. You know, there's uh... certification. Through... Yeah, right. Yes. In the Air Force, it's, car, it's called Air Force Cool Program. But there's not much information about that either. So there's a lot of red tape around that as well where you don't know what they can do and what they can't do. And again, you don't know who to ask those questions to. So then the program just goes unused. You know, you got to look at what the mission of the the particular agency is. And the Army Education Offices on Army bases are there primarily to help junior enlisted soldiers get basic level access to education for promotion points. And they're really good at that. They do correspondence courses. They do online courses. They do the Dante's uh, type of test where, where kids can get access to this for free or very, very low cost. Uh, and then they can get some promotion points to help their career while in the military. And they're really not chartered to help you plan uh, uh, your education for a career after the military. And I think, Robert, that goes back to a lot of what we've been talking about. And I've said this thousands of times on here. It's really the individual veteran's responsibility to research, figure out what they want to do, look for the correct education programs that they want to get into, and then find the right organization, right, to help them make that transition. Uh, It takes a lot of planning. We're really good at planning our careers, knowing what leadership schools to go to, looking, you know, 15, 20 years down the road. But at the end of that tunnel, we stop. You know, we, we just, that's it. And we've had a good run, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is. And when I get out, I've got the GI Bill. I'm going to go tell somebody at the local college that that's what I've got. And they're going to look at me. It, it doesn't matter because there's a whole process of applying for those benefits and getting those benefits that we don't do a very good job, or at least the military doesn't do a very good job of, of giving that information to transitioning servicemen. I think some people are going to listen to this and get shocked, by the way, Mike, because I think they're looking, listening to this and they're going, wait just a minute. That's what I do is I send my troops or I send my people down to the education center to get educated on college credits, just like you would a high school or college counselor. What you're saying mm-hmm. is, is that's not what they provide as a service. There should be a big disclaimer ins- on the I'm door. Gonna insult, I'm going <laughs> to insult some people. But, but the, the, the people who work, uh, at least in the, the Army Education Centers that I've been to, are not qualified counselors. They are not people who can talk to you about your passion, about your purpose, purpose about what you want to do for the rest of your life, the people that you want to help, and put you in contact with the organizations that can help you. They are there to help you fill out forms. That's That's really really the extent of their of their job. Yes, exactly. We've hit them upside the head twice now already. So by listening to this podcast, they should become fully educated. There's no excuse now, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But 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 um, Mike Sachs absolutely hit it on the head. I mean, the, the, the process of going to the Navy education office, in the Navy, it's the same thing. If you go to the college office, it's about getting credits that are going to help you for advancement. And what often that ends up doing, because tuition assistance will pay for, I wouldn't say, won't say it, pay, it will pay for everything, but um, there's not necessarily a need to differentiate between different types of programs so that there's certain programs, for example, that tuition assistance will fully fund and it won't really matter. But if you're going to continue on with that program when you get out after active duty and need to use your GI Bill to finish it, then the cost is really going to matter and you're not in a situation where you could apply for a scholarship and you could end up being stuck. So there's a lot of research that needs to go into it there as well. No, but I, I think that's part of the, the challenge here is trying to educate the military, especially non-commissioned officers and officers about this whole system, the process and getting the information out there, because what we're talking about is, is a full transition. So it, 
one point, every one of us have to take off our uniform. We have to make the transition into the private sector. So whatever, whether you're going into education, you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to go to college, whatever you think your dreams may be, you have to start planning well in advance to make sure you have enough runway. And we've talked about this a lot within the podcast, that if you don't build enough runway, you're never going to take off. Exactly. So I'll, I'll share a little bit of what I did. So on one of my deploy, I was on deployment in, at the end of 2012. And on watch, when I was really bored, I made a spreadsheet. And I made a spreadsheet that had a list of all the schools with the programs that I wanted around what time of year the deadline was, what the price tag was, if they had yellow ribbon, um, and where they were located. And then I also had another tab um, that had a list of scholarships that were specifically for my demographic, veterans, Jewish women, um, women studying particular subjects, um, and had all of those listed as well. And then um, I found out about service to school about a year after that when I was thinking about applying to graduate school. And the way the program works is it pairs you with a mentor who has similar military experience, Mm. who has successfully transitioned to an educational program that is similar to the one that you are going to, and they mentor you through the whole process. So there's another unseen challenge here, which is that when we apply to college or graduate school, we have to tell our story, and we've probably never told it before. And not only that, we have to write it down. And that can be a very daunting task, even for those of us who are used to, uh, even for those of us who are used to writing, to all of a sudden have to talk about ourselves, especially when we're in a field that where our job is selfless service and we're not supposed to advertise what we do. It's really, really challenging. And so my mentor had very similar military experience to me and understood what I was trying to say and helped me get there. And so, you know, she helped me tell a story that I'm really going to be telling the rest of my life. Oh my gosh. I mean, uh, all those things you mentioned are spot on, not to mention you got to use proper English or you'll never get into the school because (laughs) (laughs) seriously though, because Mike, Mike has talked about this before about, you know, if you're going to excel within the military, even, and you're going to go up to a higher rank and position, you better know how to write and you better know how to write the correct way. Uh, or you're just not going to gain that type of respect along those people that you're working or serving with. And so what you're describing here is, um, you know, I make light of it and stuff, but I mean, there's a lot of people who just do not know how to write. Service to school has someone who will help you with your writing. And I showed every single essay that I wrote to at least three people. Um, and it's also a really challenging process because with we've now seen this with some other applicants that have come through service to school I've mentored a couple of as well um, that it it also forces us to address things that we may not have talked about before in really reflecting on what, what drove us to the military in the first place and the experiences that we've had. And so it may end up being a little bit of therapy. No, that's, but that's really good because I mean, that means you're getting deep and really trying to find their passion or purpose too, by getting in Mm -hmm. that type of discussion. Exactly. Exactly. Because I mean, some people may think, I mean, I don't know, you probably ran into the same thing, Andrea. I, I don't know what it is today, but even a few years back, it was everybody wanted to be a psychologist, or at least that's what they thought. I don't know what the flavor of the month is now, but it seemed like everybody wanted to go in communication or psychology. I didn't know which one it was going to be, but I could probably flip a coin. It was one of those. And and today it may be something entirely different until they start really understanding what goes into that in terms of course study, what afterlife might be like we don't get a chance to shadow people to determine okay is this the occupation i want to go into many people that served in the military had a an entirely different occupation than maybe what they're going to get their education into i mean let's face it there's not infantry armor uh you know combat engineer uh you know or whatever uh, a navy specialty might be and there's not not those types of things that are out there as a career education process it's it's going to be a totally different type of degree so it's very foreign to them Exactly. And, and also, we don't necessarily know when we're, serving, when we're serving, we don't necessarily know how valuable our skills are 
So two of the programs that I applied to required me to have what was called a quantitative resume. Oh, nice. So I had to write about every anything that was basically STEM-related that I had done. So all of a sudden, I realized, wait, I actually have these really, I'm an intelligence officer, so I'm thinking, you know, I fight with my mind. But all of a sudden, I realized, wait, I have all these very advanced technical skills. I guess there was this algorithm that I had to write for something. <laughs> um, oh, I guess I guess I can count, too. Yeah. But it's not just for fields like that. If you're a sniper or if you're an artillery, you're expected to know oh, advanced physics. physics and exactly. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that's not something that's going to immediately come out. And this was the val- that was some of the real value of having another military mentor helping me throughout the process. Oh, no doubt. I mean, so for those people that may not understand what she's describing as far as a quantitative resume, I mean, that's really where you've got to come up and back up every bullet that you place on there with some kind of statistical value, quantitative and qualitative, where you have to go into great detail. Well, did that give some kind of outcome? Did you complete Mm -hmm. that within uh, less time than what was expected? Was there a return on that investment? Exactly. And then also talking about what you did and the experiences that you have with math and science yeah because this is one of those, those odd things where it's like okay well you're not applying to school at 18 years old you have different experience and sometimes you know, it, understanding the complex physics can make up for the fact that you didn't take calculus because you can take calculus when you return to campus yeah good point But for many of us, we've been out of school for a long period of time. So it could be, you know, you've been out of school four years, five years. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I pretty much do a Control-Alt-Delete about every 30 to 60 days or I don't have enough memory space. Um, So, you know, I mean, trying to remember something like algebra, calculus, physics, uh, biology, the tables and everything and chemistry and all those types of things four years later. What? No, not going to happen. So for listeners who are thinking of applying to undergrad, I can't talk about how awesome community college is enough. Um, it, it's, it's cheap. It gives you the opportunity to um, cut your teeth again in an academic environment and get your, uh, have a recent GPA. Um, and you won't, and a lot, for a lot of people, it's so cheap that you don't have to use your GI Bill and you can really just knock out two years of college that way. Um, and it really helps you get back into, gives the, the opportunity to get back into the classroom. Stay um, consistently fresh, yeah, in your hey, subject. Exactly. I'm going to jump on top of that. I actually had a, a counselor from my grad school that told me to do exactly that. I, I had a handful of classes that had to be met uh, before I could get a license to teach and before I could get accepted into that program. And she told me, go to Pikes Peak Community College here in town. Uh, first of all, it's about $125 per semester hour compared to about $2,000 per semester hour where I was going to go do my, my grad school work at. So looking at it from their perspective, there was no difference from a lower level survey course uh, at a community college or is what you're going to get in their you know fairly expensive private school. So I, I just wanted to echo that again. And I tell people that all the time, save your money for where you can get the most bang for the buck, and that's upper level or in your grad school. Competition nowadays for major universities is so stiff that going to a community college will give you the opportunity to learn how to go to school because there is a learning, a bit of a learning process into going from even high school to college, let alone going from military service back into a school setting and to a college setting. Uh, that's going to be a challenge in itself. So community college will give you a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more latitude, allow you to adjust easily. And then, like you said, Mike, you may even excel it to a point uh, where you're saving money, but you also get accepted into a university that you would not have otherwise had a chance to do that going straight in. So my question would be, uh, you go to a community college, you you get that experience to be back in the classroom, but... Mm -hmm. Are they flexible with, you know, maybe a PCS, a TDY or deployments? How how would that work for somebody that's trying to get their education in classroom, but then they have to go away for a certain period of time? So it depends on the program. Um, I can speak to um, people that we've had come through service to school. And we have had a number of active duty members who will. Um, I recently spoke to someone who was stationed at Camp Pendleton, which is um, he was 
half of the, halfway to Los Angeles and commuting 50 miles each way to go oh. to community college at night. Wow. Wow. Um, That's yes. dedication right there. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, hopefully for some of our folks who are listening, it'll be a little bit more convenient and perhaps somewhere where you can just walk right across the street, but, yep. but it, it really depends on the program. And the most important thing to do is ask. Yeah. Not only that, but ask the command, because I mean, it's going to be a requirement on them as well. So if your commander or NCO is allowing you to go to uh, take additional education, they have to understand the demands that's going to be placed on you as an individual to complete that course. Now, of course, the military in a lot of cases, uh, or not in a lot of cases, but in some cases make it more um, accessible by understanding, okay, you're going to work on your education. So I'll give you a little bit more latitude. But uh, that's got to be understood all the way around. Like you said, you've really got to got to do a lot of soul searching. You've got to understand the dedication and commitment that's getting ready to go into this. It's not like you can just go in there and say, I quit. Um, that's a mm-hmm. lot of money and time and energy that's been invested by both parties. So, you know, just really understand fully what you're getting yourself committed into and make sure that everybody's on board with it, especially your family, too, by the way. If you're yeah. married. Yeah. Because you're not just working maybe 8, 12, 15, 16 hours a day, then you still have to go to school, then that leaves less time for you to spend time at home. I love the fact that services school that you're talking about, Andrea, is marrying a mentor of somebody that served maybe a like uh, background and everything within the military branch, or at least understands it to some level that can give the proper guidance. I think one of the most challenging things that we find is finding uh, a way to match a mentor to an individual. And in some cases, at least I found in my past, that if you told me that Andrea is going to be my mentor, you may not match me quite well. And so going behind that to really understand who would be the best candidate to put those two together or the best person to be the mentor-mentee situation um, is very important in my in my opinion, at least. Yes, exactly. Especially when you're talking about when you're writing those essays or trying to write your resume and figure out what you're trying to say. Um, I recently spoke to um, a one one of our our alums who's going to go to Princeton um, in the fall. Um, he's a former Green Beret, and nice. his uh, service to school mentor was also a Green Beret who is a Tillman Scholar, and it's not Mike. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's more than one? What? Yes. That's a bunch of um, us. They're mostly doctors, though, I think, or guys in the, either a PA program or med school. Gotcha. Yes. And um, so the student's name is, is, is uh, Ken Oku, and he wants to study engineering. And he said that his mentor really let him – I mean, he would – he would call him really doubting himself and said, no, I don't know if I can do this. But his mentor had a, had successfully done it and said, no, you can do this, understood what he was trying to say, understood what he was going through, not just as someone applying to college, but in what he was going through in his transition out of the military. And um, what, what Kenneth said was he didn't just let me know that I could get in. I don't, he said, I, it wasn't just about getting in. It was knowing that I could fit. And going back to, all of us are going to be older than our classmates when we go back to school, whether we go to college or we go to graduate school. And for a lot of us, for a lot of us, it's a future that we may not have imagined for ourselves before. And so imposter syndrome is real. And the mentorship is, is also there to help you know that, no, you really do belong in the in these classrooms and on these campuses. Oh, God, I could see where it'd be so easy to just want to check out and, you know, walking in there and seeing a lot of young folks and such that, um, you know, may not have the level of maturity, dedication and everything and have seen or done as, as the same types of things that we have. And so then you walk into that type of situation and um, maybe even the college professors, you, I guess this is where you really have to be humble, right? This is this exactly. Is, yeah. And and know that they they have a life experience that you can learn from and you have a life experience that they that they can learn from mm-hmm. something that. Uh, so Christopher Pollock, who's one of our alums, who's now at Berkeley, says that the Veterans Center and the ROTC unit are in the same building. And so every single day when he sees those young cadets and midshipmen who are getting ready to serve their country, he feels like he has to step up his game a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah 
Well, and the other thing is, so something when I was in, when we were in graduate school, um, I, I, I almost reacted very, very negatively. I was, I, I just felt like, oh, these people don't understand my experience. And something we decided to do because the Veterans Club had budget and go figure the Peace Corps Club didn't have any budget, um, was that we took them all out for beers once a semester and we called it War and Peace. Nice, <laughs> and, nice. <laughs> and it was an amazing way to get to know people who were all, they were all about, and on average, at least five years younger than we were, um, who had this incredible but different life experience. Well, you know, Andrea, that's one of the things that we're doing within our Mentors for Military Team Room page and another um, avenues that we have out there in social media where we're trying to bridge that gap as well. Because the last thing that we want to do is make the gap even wider. So by inviting people who are veterans who have been in the private sector and have worked along civilians and have blazed some trail in whatever industry or um, background or whatever it is that they have together with a military person and then a civilian, I think those like-minded individuals are going to help one another grow that much more. And like you said, part of the ways they're going to do it is by opening their experiences in their mind um, that much more. And again, if you're, if you're pairing mentors that think in that same way, together with mentees that can then you can bring into that fold together with understanding civilians have a very similar struggle or uh, like you said, getting to eat a little bit of humble pie and lower your, you know, not really lower yourself, but um, consider the fact that everybody has differences and that's how we all learn is by letting other people share those differences and those experiences. So what is some of the, go ahead. I was just going to say, I can't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> so when you guys, if people are interested in, uh, and I want to touch a little bit on this on the Tillman Scholar. So if somebody's interested in becoming a Tillman Scholar, how do they go about becoming a Tillman Scholar? And do you guys even help with that type of program? The service of school doesn't explicitly help with uh, applying for the Tillman Scholarship Program. Uh, we do have a number of Tillman Scholars who are both alums and ambassadors. Um, and it's relatively common for uh, current Tillman scholars to, I mean, just in any way that you might read a peer's essay. Um, but there's no, there's, there's no guarantee. If you're going to get in, you're going to get on, get in on your own merit. And, um, and I'll and, say that they, they say that too, that, that seldom does one of us recommend somebody else that, that they get accepted for a scholarship. Really? And I have, I've written recommendations for two people in the last two years and they did not get picked up. And it, I, I, it's hard to tell the, the sheer number of people applying for only 50 mm -hmm. scholarships a year. Uh, it, it's it's very competitive and it, it has nothing to do with those of us that have been awarded a scholarship be mm -hmm. before them. But, you know, in a way, that's good, right? Because then it's not just kind of this good old boy type of It's network. not. You're right. Yeah. They're, they're in on their own merit. It, and, and it seems like um, most people who get in are actually getting in on the second or even third try. Um. So it also, so how, how does it work? So the application cycle opens in February and closes in March. So February 1st to March 1st is when applications are open. Um, you have to be going to school full-time um, to earn a bachelor's degree or higher um, at an, at an in-residence program. Um, and the classes look different every year. So they're getting close to 50% uh, gender balanced, about 43% female, I think, right now. I was just looking at the materials. Um, and the, the, there's always a diversity on branch of service, uh, gender, um, uh, ethnic background, um, course of study. They're not going to take fill an entire class with Navy SEAL MBAs. Um, wow. And, and, so, and through that, you also have an opportunity um, you just see what people are studying and people are doing really interesting things. So it also seems that as, as the program gets, um, as they, they probably receive more applications every year, they probably have of those 60 people who get selected, there are probably at least three people who were qualified who didn't make the cut just because of what the class needed to look like. That, what's really great about that is I remember, Mike, you mentioning just the sheer, uh, in, I guess, intelligence and people who had different projects or goals or objectives that they were bringing to the program. Um, some of these people, when they presented some of the stuff that they laid out, you know, in, in their plan, 
I can't remember the first presentation you guys gave. I think it was in Chicago, if I remember correctly. And uh, you came away kind of blown away from that first event. I, I, I come away blown away from every event. The, uh, the Tillman talks that they give, there's usually three to five different Tillman talks. Uh, I've seen, you know, performance mindset. I've seen, uh, you know, the, the evolution of, of trauma care uh, from, from what Rangers are using on the battlefield over the last 10 years that wasn't being used with uh, uh, first-line trauma care here in, in the United States that they've tried to, to push all that technology forward. Um, man, I'm drawing a blank right now. Chris Diaz's talk is the one that always stands out in my mind. And I've, I've shared that before on Facebook and everything, and I think I've shared that with you, Robert. But how broad everybody's fields of study and passion is, is huge. And, and what's so cool about the network is that there's no difference when we all come together. Uh, everybody kind of embraces what everyone else is doing and supports each other. And, and it's a network like no other scholarship problem, uh, program I've ever seen. Yeah, I could see that from afar and also just listening to the way you describe it. And then, Andrea, you laying out just the criteria or how they, they do the selection and how it's a select group of um, very carefully – um, segmented or backgrounds and everything. I mean, that that right there speaks volumes about the type of program it is. Kudos to you guys for having gone through it as well. Thanks. It's one of the most incredible things, frankly, that's happened to me in my life. And I'm pretty sure heaven is a karaoke bar filled with Tillman scholars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I love the whole mentoring uh, aspect of this and about how you're trying to help veterans make the transition into the education program. But you're also helping not just those that are transitioning. You're helping any veteran, as I understand it, who've been out no matter how many number of years. Is that correct? That's correct. If you serve in the United States military or are currently serving and you want to apply to school, that service to school is here to help you. Full stop. What's the earliest that somebody should reach out? So let's say, you know, I'm three or four years out. Am I too early to enter uh, into a conversation with you guys and learn more about it? Or is it you'd like to hit them more in a sweet spot around X number of months? If you were, say, three to four years out, it absolutely it, it, please feel free to come out to reach out to reach out. Because what we can do is we can pro provide you advice for what you should do while you're serving, what kinds of courses you might want to take, a GPA target, um, you know, resources for studying, say, for the SATs or ACTs. Um, and we do provide resources for graduates as well, um, but about two-thirds two of our program um, is undergraduate. Um, you won't be paired with a mentor until you're about one year out. Okay, that's even good. But I mean, it's still an opportunity where people can get a lot more information to say, uh, or counseling that says what they couldn't get at an education center. Okay, you need to go through a community college, you need to take this type of course where if you're going to be going for this type of um, program, you need to understand that this is a timeline, you know, in a layout of a project, you know, kind of layout, this is this is when you should be expected to do this, this is when you should have this complete. And if you do these forms by this time frame, you should have an approval back before this happens, all of that kind of stuff. And I think all of that would be very helpful, because like AJ said, you can't even get advice on how to get your tuition assistance paid, let alone get that kind of free advice. Exactly. And what's, what, what we also offer at Service to School, so we have a program called VetLink. VetLink is a formal partnership, with, partnership that we have with 18 of the top schools in the country. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, University of Michigan, UCL, uh, not UCLA, uh, Pomona um, is our school in Los Angeles, um, University of Chicago, I'm not going to list all 18, but I wanted to give you some of the geographic diversity and the differences in the size of the schools. Oh, and that's great. Um, so with those, what, when you say VetLink and you hit, say that you mm -hmm. partnered up with them, what does that exactly mean? So that means that the school has stated that they want to admit veterans and military-connected students. But they don't have access to bases. They don't necessarily know how to or have the capacity to um, access veterans, and they don't necessarily understand what um, a service member of veterans educational journey is, looks like. Because you might, you have high school, you have some credits here and there, you might have some community college, you might have a big break, you might have some really, you know, not so great grades at some point in there. And so a lot of what we do is we help tell the story. 
And we can also make a warm introduction from that applicant to that school. And so, so we can, we connect the service member or veteran with the school and it works on both ends. We will work with them to get their application to up to speed so that it, it is, they're prepared to gain admission to that top school. And that includes doing a supplement that explains your military experience, explains your educational journey, because it's not going to look the same as a high school senior. And then we'll actually make a warm handoff to the admissions officer so that the applicant can email or have phone calls back and forth with that admissions officer. That admission officer automatically knows that you've been fully vetted, Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I definitely love this because in a way it builds that bridge from, you know, whenever you're in the military, you're talking about all this uh, military lingo and how the military talks differently as to a civilian, you say uh, code four or something, they're going to be like, well, what's that? I don't understand it. But it, it does that bridge where it it explains everything to a civilian of, of what you've done in, I guess, in, in better terms that somebody can understand. Is that what it is? Exactly. That's a huge part. Wow. And, and that's that's a really difficult job because when you try to explain this to a civilian, they, they can't really grasp what you're trying to say because they, they don't they just don't know. And that's really interesting. I wish I had known this before I reenlisted. <laughs> <laughs> well, getting lost in that whole translation is part of the biggest challenges of people who make the transition in trying to. Um, explain exactly what it is that they do. And I know there's a, a lot of different applications and nonprofit organizations that have taken a stab at this of trying to take MOSs and skills and put them into a civilian language where the private sector can understand that and translate your military experience into something that they uh, can place on a resume so that human resources or keyword searches will be able to find individuals. But even those are not always the best approach because they're they're programmed only by the person who programmed it. So um, if you're not up to speed on some of the latest things that human resources are targeting or some of the keywords or things that are currently a focus, it may come out that, you know, somebody was in combat arms, uh, it, there was a sniper, looks like somebody that should be a police officer in a SWAT team. And Andrew, to your point, physics came out of that. Other skill sets came out of that in education and stuff that wouldn't have been translated had that individual not had that mentor. Exactly. And we do so many, we're asked to do so many things. I mean, I went from a special operations intelligence officer to a nonprofit CEO. That's quite and a job. To me, it, yeah. makes, to <laughs> yeah. me it makes sense. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, that's a great point that a leader is a leader is a leader as well, right? So um, I think a lot of people miss that aspect or they think there's a sense of entitlement. So it also sounds like there may be some translatable skills, but there also may be a bit, uh, may be a bit of mentoring to let some people know um, that you got to take it down a notch. You know, you're maybe not as good as you think you are, that the private sector doesn't fully understand some of the lingo or some of the things that you're talking about. And you've got to be able to explain it in such a way that elevator speech or that way that they can comprehend it um, with the knowledge, a little bit of knowledge they know from what they typically see the movies, television, what, what they know from family and friends who might be veterans or, you know, relatives or something like that. Um, so it's usually a very small amount. And um, that's why it's so important, no matter what you do to find the right mentor, but especially it sounds like if you're going to get that educational match, quite honestly, I think even if you're not getting the education match to have a resource like you guys that gets onto somebody early enough that lays out that pattern and gives them the advice. They may not end up going into education in any way or getting their uh, education or degree, but you set them on the right path to have nothing else planting the seed to make them think about their future. Exactly. It's huge. So how can people learn more about the whole program, get enrolled and all those types of things? Cause that's going to be what people are going to be listening to and going, okay, we've heard all about this. What's next? I want to take part of this. So go to service2school.org, that's service2school.org, and click apply now. And you can, and you'll be able to fill out a form to apply for undergraduate support, MBA, uh, law school, or other graduate programs. 
And then if you already have your degree and you want to mentor others, you can sign up to be an ambassador. And then that is our mentorship program. Um, And so you can sign up to be an ambassador in any of those four divisions. Right now, we're specifically looking for ambassadors in the law program and the undergraduate program. Mm-hmm. But we will, if you have degrees in the other programs, we would love to have you on board as well. Well, I'm sure with the undergrad, it's just so broad. There's so many different things that you can end up getting your degree into, whereas within the graduate program, it's a little bit more narrow. So um, you can be a little bit more focused and stuff. That's wonderful. And what about if they want to try to understand some of the changes that are going on, uh, whether it's something that you guys are doing in terms of a change internally or whether or not uh, the education program, do you guys keep up with blogs, new le- newsletters, or uh, places that they can follow on social media to learn what the latest and greatest is about? Absolutely. So you could, I, I would be remiss if I didn't promote our social media channel. Yes. Um, if you're... <laughs> So there are a couple of different organizations. So we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Service to School. Um, That's the number two, right? Service to School. The number two. two. But the uh, organizations that you should be following on social media. So depending on where you are in the application cycle. So the Warrior Scholar Project, they run these two-week academic boot camps where they will give you these critical reading skills, these different kinds of skills that will help you set you up for success in the classroom and when you need to study, um, for example, for the SATs to apply to school. So that's one program. Um, the Posse Foundation provides uh, four, they, 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 will, they have cohorts. Um, it, it is by application. They have cohorts where they will send veterans to school for a full four years. Um, you do use your GI Bill for it, but they currently are at Wesleyan, Vassar, and the University of Chicago. Um, Student Veterans of America is a great resource for students who are currently in school, and they also do a great deal of advocacy on Capitol Hill. So they are a great organization to stay up to date on to find out how the law might be affecting your GI Bill. And then finally, Veterans Education Success is an advocacy organization for service members and veterans who have, essentially, who have lost their GI Bill benefits because they, um, they were earning their degree at a for pro- predatory for-profit actor that closed, like Corinthian, for example. So are these secondary programs that you just described, are those kind of already on your website? So if they go to one location, they can then get jumped to another? We do have, if you go on our website, there are a list of partners. Great. And, of course, they, the 18 programs that you guys are partnered with as well, uh, the forums, all the information, is that's a great place to start. Just start there, basically. And I can already see AJ, you know, she's uh, going to be signing up tomorrow to get all that mentoring. What did you? How many years did you just re-enlist for, AJ? Was it six, five? Five. Okay. Well, you know, you can still yep. get some kind of in, uh, information here within the next six months or a year to get your, your roadmap all laid out for you. Yeah, definitely. I'm pretty excited to look it up. Well, Andrea, it was such a pleasure having you on and learning more about this entire program, your background. And I didn't get a chance to specifically ask about your career, but I'm glad that you shared a bits and pieces of that throughout the whole program. Maybe this would be, if nothing else, a great time for you to share a little bit about um, your military service, when you made the transition and what you jumped right into. Was it nonprofit or uh, like you just described, or was there a a point of debarkation and and a uh, bridge before you became that? So I was um, a Navy intelligence officer. I served on active duty from 2009 to 2016. Um, I served on ships, and then I spent some time in the special operations community. And I knew I wanted to go to graduate school full-time when I got out. So um, I backpacked for four months um, and then started at the Fletcher School of Law Diplomacy at Tufts um, about six months after I got out. I applied in the so I started my application essays in January of 2015. I applied in the fall of 2015 and knew where I was going in March of 15. And so it was a pretty long timeline. And um, I, my, so the Fletcher School is a school of international relations. So my master's is a master's of arts in law and diplomacy. And it's an interdisciplinary international relations degree. I studied gender and human security, um, 
I interned at Bank of America in diversity and inclusion. Um, a not-for-profit, uh, leading a not-for-profit is not is not where I thought that I would be, but that doesn't mean it's not where I want to be. I love what I do. It was just, it. Uh, the opportunity really came up quite unexpectedly, and it was an opportunity that allowed me to draw on my military experience, draw on the fact that I'd done significant research um, on veterans. My uh, master's thesis was understanding how women veterans self-identify and really stay involved in the community and, and uh, bridge the, the academic military divide. So that is how I got here. <laughs> and two of the two co-founders of Services School are Tillman Scholars. So. Wow. I mean, <laughs> what a fantastic story. I mean, you think about, yeah. I, I'm not surprised where you are. Uh, just based on where you just told me you've been. I mean, because you sounds like you have always been driven with a plan and there's nothing going to stop you. You're just going out to uh, to blaze those trail, kick in doors, whatever the case may be. <laughs> and along that way, somebody happened to tap you on the shoulder and said, hey, have you thought about this? So and that happens to good people, uh, people who are out there doing that type of action and showing that they're energized and, you know, they're, they're going to attract you know, like a a, a moth to a flame, they're going to end up attracting those types of people around them. And that inner circle ends up being that much better because of it. That's a great story. Thanks so much for sharing that. So again, yeah, service to schools, uh, check them out. Tillman scholarships from the Tillman foundation, go check that out as well. Um, look all the information up, try to get in contact with these mentors as early as four years prior to getting out to get at least some information and then somewhere within the two year mark or less or one year mark is when they're going to get a lot more uh, information from an actual face to face or at least a conversation or teleconference or whatever the case may be uh, mentor uh, mentorship type of program that will guide you through the process, make it a lot easier, introduce you to the universities. A great program. And again, thank you so much for being on, Andrea. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code mentors for mil or mentors the number 4 mil at SkeletonOptics.com and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.